the grace. Glad to have you guys here today. Uh, one other announcement before we get started. Uh, Dude's Day that got canceled and rained out the other day is rescheduled for June 28th. I, I think the um, location is still the same, but it's going to be June 28th. So dudes, bring your little dudes for Dude's Day. So on that note, can I have all of my dads, my grandpas, my papas, my poppies, uh, uncles that, that have raised kids, if you're a fatherly figure to somebody in your life, I want you to stand up right now, please. All of you. Thank you guys can be seated. Oh, thank, you for, thank you for all you do. Thank you for the lives that, that you change, the lives that you touch, and the, the guidance that you give. Being a father is not easy. Being a fatherly figure is not easy. It's a, it's a charge that, that we have upon us that, uh, to be godly men and to be godly leaders. And uh, I pray for you each day, and, and, but we, we honor you, we thank you, and I hope you guys got your fill of bacon. I was going to eat some up here, but I was afraid I'd get choked, so I had my root beer here just in case. But next week, I think we're going to have uh, bacon and eggs. We've got to start adding stuff to it. Because now it kind of, you know, kind of gets spooled with bacon, so we can have eggs to go with it. So someone get on that. But uh, today's message is, uh, we're going to continue on with our series of the parables, and in chronological order. But the title of the story of the sermon today is, oh dear, the cost of forgiveness. The cost of forgiveness. And the parable today is the story of the two debtors. Now, the parable is only two or three uh, verses long, but really, I'm going to touch on the entire story, so the beginning and the ending of, of this story, and the parable is kind of in the middle there. Um, but kind of to set the setting, uh, I read a story this week about a man that was going on a, a trip to Rome, and the man knew that he had to get some certain stuff in order, so the first thing he did is he went to his barber that he goes to quite frequently. Uh, to get a haircut for his trip. So he sits down, and the barber starts talking to him, and uh, he said, uh, so where are you going? He said, oh, I'm going to go to Rome. He said, oh, how exciting. He said, what airline are you flying on? And the man replied, Delta. And the barber just instantly changed, like, what were you thinking? Delta? Their, their seats are hard, their food is horrible, the engines are so loud, you'll not get any rest. What were you thinking flying with Delta? The man just kind of shrugged it off and went on about his business. And so it was kind of awkward silence. And then the, the barber kind of changed his tone. He's like, well, what hotel are you staying at? So the man replied, the Grand Hotel. He's like, what? The Grand Hotel, they've got roaches. Their beds are hard. Their service is horrible. You'll not get any sleep. What were you thinking? And so it's kind of awkward silence and some... Starts, you know, cutting his hair again. So after a few minutes, he said, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see the Pope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet the Pope. And the barber just loses it then. He said, what? You're crazy. No one gets to see the Pope. No one gets to meet the Pope. No one gets to talk to the Pope. So he gets his hair cut, and, he told, and the barber tells him, I hope you have a nice trip, even though in thinking in his head that he's going to have a miserable time. So he comes back a few weeks later to get another haircut, and, and the barber just, he can't, he can't stand any longer. He's like, well, how did it go? He's like, I had an excellent time. 
the flight over was, was fantastic. Uh, I had nice, a nice window seat, had nice people sitting beside me. I was away from the engines. It was quiet. I got all kinds of rest. The food was actually pretty good on the flight. And so the, the barber was kind of perplexed. And then he said, well, how was the hotel? And he said, oh, the hotel was five stars. The beds were perfect. They were clean, no bugs. The service was fantastic. And so now the barber's just like, I cannot believe this. And he said, well, okay, what about the Pope? You've got to tell me about the Pope. He's kind of trapping him in here. And he said, oh, I got to meet the Pope. I got to talk to him face to face. I was like this far away from him. So the barber, he just had to know. He's like, well, okay. well what did you say to him? What, what did he say to you? He said, hey, how are you doing? And where did you get that horrible haircut? So that's kind of the setting for the story today. You've got the barber here who thought that everything was negative, thought he knew everything about this person's trip, but he had a bad attitude with it, right? So we're going to be looking at a story today about a sinner, a savior, and a Pharisee who, like the barber, could only hurl and offer insults and negativity. So around this time... Jesus was becoming more and more like a celebrity. He was reaching celebrity status at this time. He had crowds that followed him around constantly. Everywhere he went, he had followers. He was well known. He was beginning to be popular. He was popular with the sinners. And he was also popular with the Pharisees and the religious people, but in a more negative way. But the setting of the story begins with a dinner invitation. Now, this is not uncommon for Jesus to be invited to a dinner. He ate with the sinners. He ate with the tax collectors, right? And so when the opportunity came for him to eat with the Pharisees, he did not turn it down. He said, okay, so we're going to have dinner. I'm going to have dinner with the Pharisee, right? And so with the Pharisees, though, I think there was a kind of a hidden agenda behind it. I think they kind of wanted to trap Jesus in this role, in this party that they were going to have. See, during these dinners, it was common for the Pharisees just to sit around and they could see how much scripture they could quote and test each other and talk about religious things. And hey, look how good I am. Look how smart I am. And that's all they did. But the thing about these dinners is there were other people that were there as well. There were were servants and there were common people, but they were not allowed at the table. They could just be around watching and listening. So it would be kind of like teachers or a panel and everyone else getting to watch. It would be kind of awkward to me just sitting there eating in front of everyone while they watch. But that's kind of the setting. And so they just sat around and they quoted scripture. And you, know, you tell me the part of the Bible you memorized and I'll tell this part that I memorized. And we'll, we'll pat each other on the back, right? Well, when someone come into a home in Palestine at this time, it was common courtesy to do certain customs, okay? Certain uh, courtesies that you would bestow on the person that's arriving at your home, their guest, right? First, their feet would be washed. So remember, this time they're in the desert, okay? They're wearing Jesus shoes or sandals, as I like to call them. And their feet would be sweaty and dusty after walking, and the dust, and the dirt, and the sand. So it was common courtesy to have a bowl of water, which you would get your feet washed, and a servant would wash your feet, 
and drive them off. Now, we do the same thing today, kind of, right? That's when your mom's or anyone else that you go there, they're like, take off your shoes. Take off those dirty shoes right now before you come in here. That's the same thing. They're just not going to touch your feet, right? But a servant would greet them at the door and wash their feet, right? So imagine sweaty, stinky, dirt-caked feet, right? Some of you don't even like washing your own feet, much less washing someone else's, right? But this was a common thing, to have your feet washed. It was a common courtesy. It was to show them, hey, you're a guest. You're an honored guest in my house. Second, after their feet, their feet were clean, they would be greeted with a kiss to let that person know that, hey, you are an honored guest in my home. I'm glad that you are here. You are my guest. I want to honor you. See, I think we're doing this whole greeting thing all wrong. So next week, instead of getting a handshake or a hug, you're going to get a heavenly kiss. So I don't know who our greeters are going to be next week, but... But surprise, right? Pucker up, buttercup. <laughs> yeah, because we're doing it all wrong. So a heavenly kiss to let them know, hey, you're my honored guest. Welcome to my home. Thank you for coming, right? So after his feet were washed and his face was kissed, then it was common to have their heads anointed with cool oil. Now, I don't know if this because of the oriental hot sun beating down on their thinning head because it was hot. Or it could just be because the top of their heads were burned. Or it was very common for them to go without baths for a very long time. So that was usually there to cover up and mask the stench and the smell of not bathing in a while. So this oil would be like their deodorant okay, or soap to them. See, all these things, as weird as they sound to us, right? No, no one wants to go in anyone's house right now, do they? Right? But it was, it was common. It was, it was a nice thing. It was a, it was a great gesture because they would say, you are my honored guest. Welcome. I will wash your feet. I will anoint your head with oil. I will give you a heavenly kiss to let you know that you are loved and you are welcome into my home. So the Pharisee invited Jesus to this dinner party. But see, I think the whole thing was a setup from the very beginning. It was a political move to trap Jesus into saying some things that he shouldn't say or doing some things that he shouldn't do. And boy, did he ever. See, discussing theology was secondary to the Pharisee in this situation. He wanted to trap Jesus. He wanted to offend Jesus more. See, but during these things, Jesus always managed to show love and forgiveness and tenderness to those who really needed it. And we're going to see a couple of characters in the story that really needed it. So in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, the story starts out like this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Sit down to eat. Now, real quick, the dinner table at this time, they did not sit in chairs around a table. What they would do is they would recline. So they would lay out with their head close to the table, right? And they would kind of prop up and they would eat and talk, which again is, is awkward. So you've got groups of people around you watching and listening to you eat while you're laying down eating. And your feet would be to the outside. So their, all their feet would be pointing away from the table. I mean, good idea, right? Stinky feet, right, at the table. So all their feet 
would be spread away, right? Because their feet were dirty. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. So in walks the party crasher. So has anyone ever went to a dinner or a party and, and someone walks in, you're like, who invited that person? Or what are they doing here? I didn't let them know that we were doing anything, right? The uninvited guest. This woman was definitely an uninvited guest because at this time, you think women not being able to vote was, was wrong. Women weren't able to do hardly anything at this time. So with her just coming to the door, with her coming up to these men was a big no-no. This was a bold move. So this immoral woman. That doesn't say what kind of sinner this woman is, but it's pretty self-explanatory. And it's pretty common knowledge. Most theologians think that she was a prostitute. Okay? Just, but she could have been anything. She could have been a bank robber for all we know. But she was a professional sinner regardless. Everyone knew who she was. Every, her face was on the billboards, right? She was a professional sinner. She had a reputation that followed her everywhere that she went. They knew who she was. But see, here's the thing. This woman, this immoral woman that enters the house that we're going to see in this story, she's just like the rest of us. We can put ourselves in her shoes. Now see, this alabaster jar that she had was precious. It was used to store very valuable fragrances in, probably to use in her profession, right? Because again, stinky gas, right? So these jars were sealed and they had to be broken for that perfume or those fragrances to be poured out. See, it was evident that somehow Jesus has impacted this woman's life in order for her to be thankful enough to bring Jesus, this expensive perfume, because that's probably all that she had. That's probably all that her wages went to. But see, when she saw him, she couldn't just give him the perfume. When she saw them, she couldn't, she couldn't just talk to him. She fell at his feet, and she was overcome by her emotions. She was overcome by her emotions. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Again, awkward situation here. You have this immoral woman that wasn't even allowed to be there, this uninvited guest falling at the feet of Jesus, weeping so heavily that it's wetting Jesus' feet enough to wash the dirt and the grime off of his feet, to wash the dirt between his toes. And she takes her hair and she takes her hair down. And this is significant as well because back then, when a woman would take her hair down, that was only supposed to be done in front of her husband. That was like taking clothes off. So this immoral woman was being bold. She undid her hair, it fell, and she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. An enormous act of love but offensive to everyone else there offensive to all the men sitting around the table offensive to simon offensive 
All the people were there because I thought, well, I thought we weren't allowed to, supposed to do that. How is she getting to do that? She was overcome by her emotions. So it's kind of like, have you ever been in an awkward conversation or in an argument between two people and you're kind of like in the middle of it or you know, the blow up starts right there and you're in it, right? That's why all these other people were witnessing. Like, this, is, this is bad. This is not going to go well. All these people there were witnessing this situation. Because other people were there. The commoners, sinners, religious teachers. They could just join in and listen. So this was a bold move by this woman. To show this kind of compassion. This kind of love pouring it out at the feet of Jesus. This was bold worship. She was worshiping Jesus the only way that she knew how. She brought him everything that she had. And laid it at his feet. She knew that she was not worthy to say words. She let her tears and her actions speak for themselves. And I think about that perfume. I think about that smell. And have you ever had a smell that you've smelt bring back a certain memory? Like you could be just, you know, a thousand miles away from, from where that memory takes you when you smell that, that certain fragrance or that smell. And I think this woman, every time, every day after she smelled that perfume, Every time that she smelled that fragrance, she did not remember her past. She didn't remember her profession. She didn't remember the sins that she committed or what that perfume was used for before. All she remembered was her encounter with her heavenly father that day. A beautiful memory for her. Every time that she smelled that perfume, it took her back to the time that she met her Savior. The time that she was forgiven. The time that she was weeping at his feet. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. If he was who he says he is, he would know who this woman is and he would not let her approach him. He would definitely not let her touch his feet. He would definitely not let her kiss his feet if he only knew if he only knew. See, I think Jesus is fixing to show off just a little bit here. Right? This is his response. Simon's just thinking this in his head. And Jesus is going to say, I'm going to show you who I am. It says, Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And I think Simon was kind of sarcastic here. Because again... This Pharisee, he knows all the scripture. He thinks he's pretty smart. So he says, go ahead, teacher. Go ahead, tell me. What do you have to say to me that I don't already know? Go ahead, tell me. Let me know some things that I don't know. Tell me some things about this woman that I don't know. So these next three verses is when we get into the parable of the two debtors. And how we're going to tie it into these characters in the story. Verse 41. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one. And 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both. Canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon, 
Simon answered, well, I suppose. I could just see him saying that that way, right? I suppose the one that owed more money. I suppose the one that canceled the greater debt. That's right, Jesus said. You're right, Simon. And see, I think he's kind of playing a game with Simon here because I love this parable. It's great teaching, but it's not rocket science, is it? It really isn't. And he's saying to Simon here, this is kindergarten theology right here. Try to figure this one out, Simon. Try to figure this one out, smarty pants. You're so good. You're so religious. You know everything. Try to figure this one out. It didn't take him long to figure out that, hey, the debt for 500 pieces of silver? Yeah, I think that person's going to love the person that forgives it just a little bit more than the person that owes 50. Okay, But one silver coin back then was like a day's wage. So one guy owed a, a couple of weeks or a couple of months pay, right? The one that owed 500, it was a little over two years worth of pay. So a, a very large debt that was canceled out. See, the time when people would have money loaned to them from these money lenders, most of the time, they could not pay it back because they got to eat. They couldn't pay it back, so they would just borrow more and more and more until finally, if they could not pay their debt, they were either killed or they were put into slavery and they had to work off their debt for the rest of their lives. And usually their families were put into slavery because they couldn't pay off the debt. So Jesus is talking about these two men and the moneylender forgiving those debts of those two men. One owing 500 and the other owing 50. Who's going to love more? The one that owes the most or the one that owes the least? And see, this doesn't make very much economic sense, right? For this moneylender to forgive the debts, of these, the debts of these two people. But see... This is not just any ordinary economy here we're talking about. This is God's economy. It's already happened. When we were saved, our debts are completely forgiven. They're completely written off the books. Forgiven completely with a high price. The cost of forgiveness comes with a very high price. This woman sitting at the feet of Jesus... It's paying a very high price because everyone sees who she is. Everyone sees what she's done. Everyone knows what she's done. But she's pouring it all out at the feet of Jesus. Very high price. So Jesus is telling Simon here, Simon, it's obvious that you're the guy that owes 50, right? Or you think you are. And it's obvious that this woman is the one that owes 500. But Simon, look how much she loves me. Look how much she loves. Because she's been forgiven for a lot more. She's been bought with a high price. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. So I love this part because she turn, he turns to the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Again, I can just imagine her finally looking up at Jesus and looking in his eyes and hearing the words that he's fixing to speak to Simon. But it's also to her. But it's also 
to us. So put yourself in her position. Put yourself in her position as I read this. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. Look at her. Do you see her, Simon? Look at her. Look at her. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, and again, he's looking at the woman the entire time, but he's talking to Simon. I tell you, Simon, her sins are many. Her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So you can insert your name here. I tell you, Sam, your sins are many, but they are forgiven. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, they have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is given little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Do you see her, Simon? Do you see her here pouring out her love, pouring out her worship to me because she loves me that much? You're sitting there and you don't think you owe very much. But in all reality, if you feel like you're Simon or if whether you feel like you're the woman in this situation, you're both in debt. We're both in debt. But I guarantee you the people that are sitting in this room today that have been through more, that have been forgiven for more, probably love people more than others. It's pretty safe to say that the more you've been forgiven, the more you're going to love. Because you know the price. See, the woman, she recognized that she was a sinner. She knew that. Everyone knew that. Right? Everyone knew that. But her actions, her love that she showed Jesus in that moment, when she laid it at His feet, and her tears, she wept so much that her tears covered His feet and was able to wipe them and clean them. When's the last time that you brought anything to Jesus and cried your sins away? When's the last time you've dropped them at His feet? See, her faith in Jesus' forgiveness is what saved her. Her actions. See, they had a mind connection. See, Jesus was talking to Simon and these other men around the table. He knew their thoughts and he was answering their thoughts. So I'm sure the woman that was at his feet, she could not speak. She was weeping so heavily. But he knew the words that she was saying in her head. He knew what she was saying. And she knew that her heavenly father forgave her for her sins, for her past her present, and her future. So we all can relate to this woman in this story. We can all say that we're the woman in the story. Our sins are many. They're countless. They'll continue to be countless. But we've been forgiven. 
Our debts have been canceled out. They've been wiped out. We've been bought by a high price. The cost of forgiveness is high. It's a high price. She knew that. She brought everything that she had. She probably had to make a career change after she poured out that perfume for Jesus. That's all she had. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Who is this man that thinks that he can take sins away from people? And Jesus again said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I'm not saying that the lady and the woman in this story went out of there and she was perfect because she wasn't. We're not perfect after we're saved. But our hearts begin to change. Our lives begin to change. Our lives begin to look different. And I guarantee she probably made a career move. It probably wasn't easy for her to change her reputation and change the way she was thought about in the community, the way people looked at her. But Jesus said, Simon, look at her. Guys, here today, are you looking at her? If you relate more to Simon, if you think that you're better than someone else, look at her. Look at the people around you. Whether you owe 50 or whether you owe 5,000, we are all in debt. doesn't matter. Big sin, little sin, it does not matter. We all have a debt that we have that we can never pay. Do you see her, Simon? Do you see this woman at my feet? She has not stopped washing my feet and weeping. She has not stopped washing my feet. She has not stopped kissing my feet. When all these other things you should have done for me, she's doing the only way that she knows how. Without water, without anointing oil, she knows that she's been bought by high price. See, Jesus is showing the woman, Simon the Pharisee, the men around the table, the people in the, in the background, in the distance that is witnessing this awkward but also magical moment. This woman having her sins wiped clean. The point of the person who realizes that how great that forgiveness is, is the one that will show great love to others. It's a powerful point to this parable. See, the more we go through, the more we've been forgiven for, is the more the love that we should show others. Look what God has forgiven me for. Look, for. look what He's brought me from. I was this, now I'm this. I was here, and now I'm here at the feet of Jesus being forgiven. We have to love others like we've been forgiven for a lot because we have. We have a debt that we can never repay. We have to show that love to others. We have been forgiven. Our sins are many. But Christ has loved us greatly. So we should... Not be as much like Simon in this situation. When he thought, well, I'm definitely the guy that only owes 50. So he was judging her. And in judging her, he also judged Jesus. But if you've been forgiven for a lot, you're going to love a lot. So I'm going to point out five points. And the first one is that we are all spiritually in debt. Everyone in here, everyone in this room, whether regardless of age or background, you are in debt to God. You are in debt to our Heavenly Father. Some of us 
feel that we're more like Simon the Pharisee. We're debtors with short-term memories. But see, because Simon, he kind of forgot that he was a sinner. Because of his religious background, the religious cloud that surrounded him and kind of blinded him. He didn't think he had to be forgiven for much. See, if we forget who we're in debt to, it can cause a lot of problems, right? If you forget who you owe, if you forget a payment, right? Forgetting who you owe could be a bad thing for you. See, Simon kind of forgot who he was in debt to. See, Simon forgot that he was a sinner just like the woman. It may be a different sin, but it's the same sin nonetheless. See, none of us in here are better than anyone else. My sin is the same as your sin, regardless of our background. We both owe a debt that we cannot pay. We both owe, we cannot pay it back. We are all in this debt together. We are all at the feet of Jesus. We're positioned there, looking to Him for what He's done for us. I read a story about a Sunday school teacher and teaching children's church and, and youth upstairs. I can relate to this, but she was trying to bring home her, her lesson. And as she asked the class, she's like, what is the first thing that you have to do in order to receive forgiveness? What's the first thing you have to do? And so just like any other Sunday school class with any other teenagers or, or young kids, it was silence. And then finally a little boy raised his hand. She said, okay, what is the first thing you have to do in order to have your sins forgiven? And the little boy said, sin. So sinning is the first step. Great, we're all there, right? First step, done, completed. We're there. Next step is just ask Jesus. Forgive me for my debts. Cancel my debts. Forgive me for my sins. I'm spiritually in debt and I can never pay it back. Forgive me. Look to Him for what He's done. We all got the first step covered. Second point is that we can never repay the debt that we owe. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to be able to repay my lawn mowing debt. Those of you who don't know, my, my dad, Shorty, he, he mows my grass usually, and he does it for free. So he, so he says, I'm going to get a big bill one of these days. But it's a debt. It's a debt. It's a debt that I'll never be able to repay because I think it's like up to like 25000 now. And then if you add interest onto that, it's probably even more. So you just double it with interest, right? So it's a debt that I'm never going to be able to pay. Some of you have a debt that you're never going to be, that seems like you're never going to be able to pay it off. But it's a debt that we can never repay. It's kind of like if the U.S. government said, okay, we've got, to, we've got to settle our $17 trillion debt, and we've got to do it today. So everybody, all you, all you citizens, we've got to pay off our debt. Well, it's not going to happen, is it? There is no way that we can pay off that debt. Not at once. John Henry Newman said, how can one understand forgiveness if we haven't recognized the depth of our sins? See, we have to know our sins, and we have to own our sins and we have to know what we are in order to understand the forgiveness of our heavenly father in order to show him that love because we've been forgiven for much we have to love much 
See, the woman in this story, she was not trying to pay Jesus back for her forgiveness. There is no way that she had enough. There is no way that a jar of perfume could be enough to pay back Jesus. She was just showing how thankful she was and how thoughtful she was for the high price that he would have to pay. And so I think deep down in her conversation between their minds, I believe she knew what kind of price he was going to have to pay for her. I think that's why she was sitting at his feet weeping because she knew who she was. She knew where she had been and yet she knew the high price that he was going to pay to cancel that debt. She didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. It's a debt that we can never pay. It'll never be paid. The good news is forgiveness, this forgiveness of Christ, it's available to everyone. It's available to all. Jesus offers to pay and cancel our debt if we just accept it. No sin is too big for him. No debt is too big for him that he cannot pay. But see, forgiveness always costs something. It always costs something. For the money lender in the story, it cost him 550 pieces of silver to cancel out the debts of the two debtors. But see, that's a small, insignificant amount when you compare it to what our Heavenly Father paid for us. By stretching out on the cross and dying for our sins, canceling our debts. It's a price that we can never pay. It's a debt that we can never quit paying off. The interest would just keep adding on, adding on. We cannot repay it. See, it would be like getting your mortgage in the mail and you still got 20 years to pay it and it's stamped, paid in full. Or if you get your car payment from your dealership and it says paid in full four years earlier than it should be. Or you get your parents, you get your uh, college education and all those student loans paid in full. Or you get an IRS tax return and it says paid in full. All your taxes paid for forever. Would you not be excited about that? Would you not go tell people, hey, go to this bank. They pay off your mortgage. Go to this dealership. They pay off your car payment. Right? You would tell people. And on the cross, as Jesus is hanging there, He's saying it's stamped. Your debt is paid in full. We can never repay it. But the price of forgiveness that we have costs Him everything, but it's available to everyone. It's available to everyone. Just take it to His feet. Lay it His feet. He will pay your debt. The next thing is we have to communicate this hope to others. We have to communicate this hope to others. Once our debts, once our sins have been forgiven, that love that He showed us, we have to show it to others. We have to show that same forgiveness to others. Now, it's not easy to forgive people sometimes. But if Christ forgives us for everything that we do, we owe it to Him to forgive others, to show that love to others, so that others see Him through us. The woman did. She gave her most prized possession. 
She put her reputation on the line, the fear of ridicule, and the exposure of her past to express her love of Christ in front of everyone. He's calling us to do the same thing. Let everyone know. Let everyone know the hope. The hope that I gave you, it's available to everyone else as well. And there's people today that don't know that unless you tell them. Unless you tell them about this hope. We must do that as well. We've got to show others the love of Christ through our actions, through our love to others. So we can never, ever repay God. But see, what we can do, we can roll up our sleeves and we can get to work. Right? We can do stuff for our community. We can, we can show Him love and others' love through our worship. The, the woman dropped everything and worshiped Jesus. That's the only thing that she could do. She couldn't speak, but she could worship. And it was good enough. We can do more for the church and the community. We can start serving. We can cry and laugh at each other and be a shoulder for someone. We can pray for each other. We can reach out to the lost. Do the work. Show the hope to others. So we can never repay our debt, but we can sure work on it. See, the woman, she broke a vase that day. She took her jar and she broke it. But see, our, our, our Heavenly Father sent His Son and broke a vase. He sent heaven's finest to express forgiveness to us. That's the love that God has for you in His heart. That's the love that He has for everybody. The woman broke her alabaster jar, but our Heavenly Father was broken Himself for us. He was broken. That's the high price. That's the cost of forgiveness. It's a debt that we could never repay. It's a debt that we'll never, ever, ever be able to repay. But we can only show others that, look, I was once like this, but he canceled my debt. I owed him everything. I could not ever get my sins wiped clean except through Jesus. It's the only way. The second parable that we're going to talk about today is just about three verses. Pastor Dennis iterated on this a little bit last week. It's Luke 8, 16 through 18. No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and be made known to all. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching or more understanding will be given. For those, but those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. See, Simon, he thought he knew, but he didn't know. This woman that was brought that brought herself to Jesus and laid it all there. Everyone saw her sin. Everyone saw her past. It was made public for everyone to see. But her forgiveness was also made public. She was a broken jar. She was a broken vessel. She was a broken soul. But she laid it at the feet of Jesus, and she was forgiven. Her debt had been canceled. See, this woman in the story, in no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind, that she left that party, that she left that dinner party changed. She was different. Everyone knew it. Her, she probably had to have a career change, obviously, right? But her life was changed 
See, she was a broken jar. But once she received that Holy Spirit, that light inside of her, that life that was given by the Holy Spirit radiated out through her. Everyone in that area knew that she had been. Everyone knew that her life was changed. Everyone knew that she was a new person, a new creation. Her secrets and her sins were made public, but she had been forgiven. See, we're all crackpots in the need of the Holy Spirit. We're all broken vessels in need of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like this vessel. Use your imagination. It's not a vessel. And yes, Mom, this is from your back porch. This is not going to hold liquid. It's got holes all in it, right? See, it's just like us. We have a bunch of holes. We have sins and scars that make cracks in our lives that make us unappealing or we think we're not good enough. But see, what God does is He takes those sins and those situations and if we make them made known to all, if we let our sins speak for what Christ has done for us, if we let our sins and our cracks in our lives be a light to others, that they show hope. Jesus is going to take those cracks and He's going to take those scars and He's going to make them beautiful. They're going to be a, it's going to be a process. It's going to show other people that you were once ashes, but I turn, I'm going to turn into beauty. So what was once broken, the love of Christ and His Holy Spirit, that light needs to be radiated out to others. That beauty should be shown to others. Our lives should be made public. We have to let our light shine. We can't hide it. The woman, there is no way in this story, there is no way this weeping woman that's laying everything at the feet of Jesus and she's unashamed and she's worshiping Jesus, there is no way that she's just going to get up on, all right, see you later. There's no way she's leaving like that. She's changed. She is radiating light. We should be the same way. We are changed. We had a debt paid for us that we could never repay. We are changed. Our lives should be open books. We should live our lives where everyone sees where we've been. But not, not about where we've been. It's about where Christ is taking us. I used to be this, but because of Jesus, I'm now this. I was broken, but now I have Jesus and I'm letting my light radiate through me. She was a broken jar. Her sins were made public, but the Holy Spirit radiated through her life. We are all crackpots broken near the Holy Spirit. Let your light shine for Him. You may be the only light of Jesus that someone sees today. We're all broken alabaster jars with sin in our lives. Holes that only our Heavenly Father can fill. We have a debt that only He can pay. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. Let your brokenness and cracks be beautiful light to others. So let's pray while the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this parable. We thank you for your teaching here. Lord, we just pray that you take these words and we apply them to our lives, Lord. We thank you for canceling our debt. 
Lord, we thank you for no matter how much we owe you, you forgive our sins if we just ask for it. And Lord, if, if we're like Simon, if we have that mentality, Lord, just, just let us know that our sin is, is great. Our debt is too much for us to pay. We can never be good enough. Our works will never do it. The Pharisee way will never work. But we just need to bring our struggles and our, and our sins to your feet to be changed. Lord, let that love that you put inside of us, let it radiate out to others. Let it be a light to others in a, in a dark world. Let us show your hope to others. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has not been at your feet weeping, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know your debt-canceling power, I, I pray today that they know you. I pray that today is the day that they know you as their personal Savior, that they walk out of here with their debt paid in full. Lord, all they have to do is accept it. All you have to do is accept it. Lord, just thank you so much. Lord, just let our light shine for you. Lord, I just pray for healing and I pray for protection. Lord, thank you for being a great example of a father. Lord, I just lift up all the fathers in this room, Lord. Lord, just let us lead, guide, and direct you, our, our young men and women, the way we should. Lord, just let us lead in the way you want us to lead. Lord, when we feel like we're not good enough to be a father, we feel like that we're slacking. Lord, we're just going to look to you in the example that you set for us. Lord, we thank you for what you did on the cross for us. We thank you for paying our debt in full. In your name we pray, amen.